0: following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 19. Today, amen, Uh, today we are answering the last question in our curious series. Uh, that question is, it, is it important for Christians to be involved with the church? Uh, just right off the bat, there is an often repeated statement that most of us have probably heard, and it provides one possible answer to this question. The statement is this, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Anybody ever heard that before? Yes, somewhere? Yes, uh, there are several problems Uh, with this kind of oversimplified approach to the question at hand, okay? So the first problem is that it reveals a misunderstanding of what the church is. Unfortunately, you can go home and do this, try it at home. You can go home and Google what is the church, and the first definition that comes up is a building used for worship. The New Testament knows nothing of this definition, but unfortunately the way we use the vocabulary, that's become a pretty common understanding, so much so that that's the the top hit on Google, which normally is right about everything, right? So, uh, But it gets this one wrong, unfortunately. So uh, the word translated church in the New Testament, of course, is ecclesia, which translates to assembly or the called out ones. Um, and so when the Bible speaks of the church, it is speaking of the people. It's referencing the people, not a place or an event. And so that's why for us, we say a lot, the church is... Is not a place, it's not a a certain time slot, it's not a service, it's the people of God, Uh, and that's important. Um, So to say you don't have to go to church to be a Christian shows an unfortunate emphasis on the place or the event, and it misses the beauty of the gospel making us a part of God's people. Uh, and that's a, that's unfortunate, and that can be a problem. And I, and I realize for some of you, it can seem like maybe I'm splitting hairs about language. Um, but if you think the church, when you think of the church, if you think of primarily a place or an event, it's going to affect the way you answer the question we're dealing with tonight, isn't it? Uh, it's going to affect the way you think about it. Now, if someone changed the statement to, you don't have to be a part of a church to be a Christian. Uh, they'd maybe be closer to, to understanding the, the language right but and, and I suppose in some some circumstances they could be technically correct but it is still not a circumspect or biblical approach to the question which was what we're, we're going to try to tackle tonight a, a circumspect well-rounded biblical approach to answering this question okay so oftentimes, uh, if I'm feeling sassy, my, my answer to, which is most of the time, uh, if I'm feeling sassy, my answer to somebody saying, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, uh, normally I don't get into, the if, if they're saying that, I'm just talking to you about the, the language and stuff because I think it matters for the way we think about it. I don't normally go into that. That's kind of nitpicky with somebody that, if that's where they're at in life, that's probably not really what I want to try to deal with, but kind of to break the ice of that conversation, if they say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, oftentimes I'll say, well... Maybe technically, but you also technically don't have to use a parachute when you go skydiving, right? I mean, people have jumped out of planes, the chute doesn't deploy, and they've survived. They land on an angle or in a soybean field or something. I've seen the videos. Uh, It it does happen. You know, it's a very, very, very small chance of you jumping out of a plane without a parachute of it coming out okay in the end, right? Uh, That's not the way the activity was designed. If you go skydiving, you're supposed to have a parachute. Uh, And I I would liken the statement, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, much the same. Technically, maybe in some circumstances that's true, but it's definitely not the way that this was set up or designed. Uh, I've often heard people say, if this conversation ensues uh, or continues, they'll say, well, what about the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross didn't join a church, and God said he would be in heaven, you are absolutely right. Thank you, Captain. Extenuating circumstances. You found, <laughs> you found the one uh, circumstance you could point to. Also, I think it's troubling when we think of things only in terms of, do I have to do it, or if I don't do it, will I still make it to heaven? Like that's that's not the rubric or the grid we use for what we do and don't do. Right? I'm not just trying to barely slide into heaven, like. I, that that's not the way somebody thinks that has been purchased with the precious and perfect blood of Christ the Lamb right like if if we've been purchased by the blood of Christ I'm not just trying to do the bare minimum to kind of slide into heaven and, and hope I make it like I I want to obey Him I and I trust that if He asks me to do something it's for my good and if He asks me not to do something it's for my good and so I think even framing the question that way oh well a thief on the cross made it to made it to heaven well he listen if if he would have survived that crucifixion, what would have been normative based on New Testament principles, would have been for that brother to get down, get bandaged up, and find a church, <laughs> okay? Because he came to know Christ, and that those do go together. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you about it and show you more because I know it's not necessarily even a popular idea. I know you know early 2000s there was there was a lot of uh, books written. You know they like Jesus but not the church, uh, and there's this kind of been there's been to some degree over the past decade or so, kind of this downer attitude towards the church, organized religion, things of that nature, um, and, and some of that's waned, it kind of had a, a spike, and now people are, have responded, and so that's calmed down. However, uh, we're, we're going to just deal with the question as it's been asked, is it necessary for a Christian to be involved with the church, okay? Is that the right thing? I, I would, to give you a reference point, I, I would talk about it to some degree the same way we talk about baptism. Is, did the thief on the cross get baptized? No. What is required for salvation? To put faith in the finished work of Christ and to believe that what he did is is enough to accomplish redemption for your soul, that what he did, that his sacrifice paid the price for your sins. That's what's required for salvation. So is baptism required for salvation? No, that would be adding to the gospel. That would be problematic. However, should Christians be baptized? Yes, because that's what the scriptures lay out for obedience, okay, after that fact. So, uh, in, in many places. So, I, to some degree, I would like in connection to the church uh, to, to baptism in that way or talk about it the same way. Okay? All right, here we go. Um, I do want to say this there are a lot of motivations for folks wanting to avoid what they see as organized religion. Uh, some people are just lazy and can't be bothered with it. Uh, they got a lot going on in their life, and you know that looks like something else that I don't have time for or want to mess with. Some people have never really been taught what the Bible says on the issue. They watched a YouTube video, or their friend one time said, "You don't have to go to church to be a Christian." They're like, "Cool, I'll take that one." <laughs> yeah, I'm weaving that right into my life philosophy. Right, that works for me. Uh, you know, I'm busy on Sundays. So uh, some people. Uh, Some people that think like that, you know, they they would be the, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian kind of crowd. Some people that think that way, they're not actually Christians. There are people that think they're a Christian because their family are Christians or somebody they know is a Christian or they believe that God exists, right? And so maybe they're not a Christian and that's part of why they have really no draw or interest in gathering with God's people. That's another possibility. However, some folks have been deeply wounded by a church or churches, and this has caused them to withdraw. And I want you to understand that I know that that's true. And so in no part of what I'm saying today do I want to trivialize that or be trite about it. However, um, I do want you to know that as I preach this um, and make what I hope is a passionate and faithful case for the importance of the local church in the life of a Christian, Uh, that I am among the ranks of those who have been hurt by and frustrated with churches and church people. Okay. So I've, I'm not going to, you know, try to prove to you that I deserve to be counted among those ranks. I just, I'm just telling you, uh, I've had some hung dinger situations uh, with churches and church people. People say crazy things. They do crazy things, things that you'd like I can't believe a psychopath would say or do that, much less somebody that's supposed to love Jesus, right? So there are wild things that happen. We have to understand churches are made up of people. People are imperfect. The only perfect church is the one that we don't go to because we're imperfect people as well, right? So there's a room somewhere uh, that's not full of people, and then it's not a church, right? Because that's not what the Bible means. So perfect churches don't exist. Uh, And sometimes people, you know, hurt people hurt people, and that's a bummer. Uh, And the reality is what we need to understand, and, and what I would say to you, whether you're here and and you've been hurt in the past by churches or church people, or you happen to hear this sermon uh, on the internet, I, I want you to just think about this with me. To be truly connected to a church body the way the Bible describes, it does open us up to vulnerability and the potential for pain. But this is true of any real relationship, right? We can all facade and mask our way through life and never really let anybody in close enough to hurt us, but I mean, we've covered that ground before. That's not a really awesome existence. Some of us have done that, right? Some of us have done the old smile when I see everybody, but really on the inside, I don't love anybody or let anybody love me because then they can hurt me. The same is true with churches. The same is true with connecting really to a church community. It is going to make you vulnerable, but it's worth it. Um, and it's, it's what uh, we see the scriptures say is, is the best case for us, okay? Um. We also, we do need to point out that all those who have repented of sin and put faith in Christ throughout all of history, they are a part of what is commonly referred to as the universal church described in Ephesians one twenty two. It's also referred to as the body of Christ in places like 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, so there is this idea that if you have put faith in Christ, you are a part of the church universal. Okay, however, I would also say... We need to acknowledge the fact that the New Testament is written to Christians with the clear assumption that we would be connected to a local body of believers. I'm going to back that statement up as we go forward, okay? Uh, But for some people to say, well, everyone's a part of the church. Yes, but also to read the scriptures as they are, you'll see a clear assumption by those that wrote the scriptures that we as God's people would not just be connected to the body of Christ through salvation and then kind of lone ranger it, but that we would be connected to a local body of believers, okay? And that's for our good and God's glory. Now, let's read Hebrews 10, and we're starting in verse 19, okay? Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to draw four applicable principles out of these verses to help us answer the question at hand, and hopefully we'll do that both thoughtfully um, and faithfully, okay? So here's the first of four. And answering the question, should Christians be connected to a church? Is that, is that the right thing? The first thing I want to tell you is that we have commands uh, that answer this question. We have imperatives and we have commands in the scriptures that I believe answers this question. The first is verse 25 right here, which says, uh, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I under- part of my job is to anticipate Responses. Okay, so here's the first thing that always comes up when somebody hears a, a pastor or a Bible teacher tying that verse to the idea that we should be connected to a local church. They'll say something like, well, I can fulfill that if I just gather with some Christian friends, right? I can obey this command. Why can't we get together, throw some brats on the grill, uh, you know, pray over the food and boom, we gathered and sweet, we assembled. You know what I mean? Um, Here's, here's the problem. I, I don't think that that is what the writer had in mind uh, when, when this was written. I don't think that's what he's talking about. And I think part of what we need to look at and understand is that many of the books of the New Testament were written to churches that had leaders raised up by God. And these churches were connected not only for mutual edification and fellowship, but also for gospel mission. Okay, so here's what I would say. An informal gathering of Christians for the purpose of fellowship is a good thing. Yes and amen. I hope a bunch of Christians are getting together this weekend uh, and grilling meat to the glory of God or vegetables, whatever people got on the menu. It's cool. I'm cool with all of it. Um, I hope they're getting together. I hope they're going to fellowship. I hope they're going to talk about Jesus. I hope they're going to encourage each other in an informal, just gathering of friends. Fellowship is a good thing. However... It does not fulfill all that the local church is called to do. It doesn't fulfill what the Bible is speaking of here and in other places, okay? So what are we talking about? I'm giving you evidence that we have commands that answer this question for us. I'm going to give you some more kind of practical application after that, but I I believe that we have, there's things said in the Bible that would give us an affirmative on this question of should Christians be connected to a church, okay? Reason, uh, this is number two under the fact that we have these commands. The reason here at Love City that we believe church membership is biblical applies to this question. So here's what I would give you. Hebrews thirteen seven says this. You're going to really like this one. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. How many of you, that's your life verse? You have it on your mirror and on your fridge. That's your favorite one. I know. Most of you. Yes. Okay. Uh, that's Hebrews thirteen seven. Uh, we also see Jesus commission Peter as one of the first church leaders, and he, he, you, know, you remember he says, uh, Simon Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, of course, Lord, I love you. He says, then, then feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. He takes him through this, this threefold uh, conversation. And so we see Jesus commissioned Peter as one of the first church leaders to feed and to take care of God's people. That's in John chapter 21. Uh, So Jesus had this idea that there was going to be uh, leaders established, there was going to be some formality and structure to the church, and that there there was going to be leaders that he was going to establish uh, for the the discipling, taking care of the people, training the people, uh, equipping them for the work of the ministry, as is said elsewhere, okay? The question is, so here's the question out of that. Out of Hebrews thirteen seven, which says, obey your leaders, submit to them. They keep watch over your souls. The fact that Jesus um, commissioned Peter to, to be one of the first leaders uh, taking care of God's people. The question is, if Christians are not connected to a local church through membership, then what spiritual leaders are they submitting to? And how do the leaders know what Christians they're responsible for? Right? So, if we're all just kind of freewilling out here doing our thing, I'm a part of the church universal, but you're not going to lock me down to the local church, organized religion, ugh, right? Here's the problem Hebrews 13, 7 is still there, and we have to deal with that. Okay? So, if you're a Christian and you're out there just, just kind of doing your thing, not connected to a church through membership, who do you submit to as far as godly leadership? Anybody on TV that says they're a pastor? Anybody on TV that says they've got a word from the Lord or a word for you? A dude on the street that says, I'm a prophet. I mean, who, who, who do you submit to? And on the flip side, who, for example, let's just take the leadership here at Love City. Who are we responsible for without people saying, yes, I'm a part there. Yes, I believe God's called me there. Yes, uh, I, I'm willing to submit in, in, in love and unity to that church congregation and to that team of leaders. How, who, am, am I responsible for every Christian in Cincinnati? even though I don't get to talk to them or they won't listen to me or whatever it is. That, that can't be the case, right? That's nonsensical. And so that tells us that uh, this, this, is, this bolsters the idea that we should have even formal, as scary as that is, connection to a local body of believers that has leaders established by God um, that are serving the people uh, for his glory. So, Uh, James 5.14 also says this, I'm building a case for the fact that church membership is biblical, thus Christians being connected to a local congregation is biblical and is the right move, okay? James 5.14 says, is any among you sick Then have the elders pray for you and anoint you with oil? Okay, well, how do we obey that if we're out here doing whatever? I don't really have any spiritual leadership in my life, you just find anybody, I guess you can, but it doesn't seem like that's what James was talking about, and it doesn't seem like that's what the rest of the New Testament letters were talking about when it was addressing churches, church leaders, church congregations. Seemed like they had some things established and knew where people were, and people were happy to be a part of those. So my point here is that there is an assumption throughout all the New Testament, and, and go read it for yourself. Th- think about it as you're doing uh, even your daily devotionals, as you're in the New Testament. Think about the way things are written. There is an assumption throughout the New Testament that you and I would be connected to a local body of believers, and that we have, and we have commands in the Scriptures that we cannot obey if we are not connected to a local body of believers, right? How do you submit and obey to the leaders that God has put in your life if you're not connected really to a local congregation. If you're not, if you don't have a faith family, right? How do you obey that verse? I don't have to. I'm doing me. Okay. But, but don't, but don't run around acting like it's okay. All right. Cause it's not, that's not what the Bible would lay out for us as a normative or best practice. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying you won't make heaven rolling like that, but you're you're running the same chance as a as a skydiver with no parachute. You're putting yourself in danger. There's a reason why God set things up the way He did. There's a reason why God establishes leadership. There's a reason why God brings congregations together and gives them mission and purpose in certain communities. There's a reason He appoints times and places where we live, draws people together from different backgrounds uh, to come together to accomplish His mission. There's there's reasons why He does what He does. Uh, And so I want to be able to obey all the commands in Scripture, and I believe in order to do that faithfully, I'm going to have to be a part of a a local congregation um, and and be happy about it. So even that, Shooter McGavin. All right. That's a real old reference. If you got it, you can feel old with me. 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18 are two of the more well-known passages on church discipline, okay? Another really fun subject. In our rugged, individualistic, Western mindset, the idea of someone having the spiritual authority to call you to repentance and administer discipline, if needed, is, to say the least, unpopular, okay? Not something you're going to see preached on TV, I can almost guarantee it. Uh, But it's in the Bible, so we'd have to talk about it. Um, you might be thinking, or somebody listening to this may be thinking. I doubt anybody here is, but who knows? They might think I don't need to submit to anyone but Jesus, right? Jesus, you know, and you could, you could build a case for that, right? That Jesus removed the need for priests and things of that nature. So now I can have a direct connection to God. And yes, you do, but we still have to understand that and what Jesus did for us in, in, in tearing down the veil and allowing us access to God the Father. We still have to understand that in context of the rest of how the scriptures tell us to conduct ourselves. So you might think, I don't need to submit to anyone but Jesus. I would say to you, dear friend, that is a prideful over on your part, and you need a leader in your life that loves you enough to tell you that, okay? This is fun, isn't it? Yeah, you guys ask the questions, all right? So it's on you. All right. Amen. Um, let me, so I've said all of that, and that was kind of the hard part. Here, here's hopefully what tempers that a little bit and lets you understand that I am not advocating for uh, a tyrannical form of church government, okay? Okay. The only way that everything I just said works is if church leadership leads like Jesus, as humble servants motivated by love. That's the only way this works. That's the only way people will trust them enough to lead them. If, if leaders are, are tyrants, if leaders are dictators, if leaders are, are living unholy, duplicitous lives, uh, if they're not being good examples, if they're not willing to serve people, if they don't see even their leadership among God's people as a form of service that they don't understand the way Jesus led, it's not going to work. There are churches, even sometimes large churches, led by um, people that use intimidation, manipulation, all kinds of things in order to kind of keep control over people. That is not in any way what God means. That is unholy. And most of the time, Jesus ends up shutting those churches down, which is the right thing to do. Okay? So, uh, None of what I said, and and when it talks about obeying leaders and things like that, you should not be a part of a church where uh, leaders are saying things like, you know, just shut up and march and do what I say. And if they start quoting stuff about Korah in the wilderness and all this type of stuff and the earth swallowing them up, that's a red flag, okay? Um, If they can never be challenged, a question never asked, if their word is the highest and final authority, if they put themselves on the same level as, say, the prophets of the Bible or the writers of the Bible, if they act like they're Jesus... Um, the reality is Jesus is the chief shepherd over Love City. The rest of the elders and pastors here and leaders here are under shepherds, commissioned by him. He's the big boss, and we report to him. And uh, if any of us do anything uh, that is not in line with the way Jesus would do it, uh, then we're going to be called to repentance. And if we refuse to repent, we're removed. Out. Uh, And that's the way it should be, right? Because no congregation should have to uh, trust and obey leaders that are not um, listening to Jesus and loving and leading like him. So if there's not humility among uh, the, the people that God establishes as leaders in local church congregations, then it won't work. Uh, and it shouldn't work, okay? So I want to make sure you know that I know that in light of everything else I said. Okay, praise God. Um, when, when church leaders do lead like Jesus, when they are humble, when they do what they do, motivated by love for God and love for people, Um, what that does is it it cultivates the trust that's needed for a church to function in a healthy way. And so that's good. All right, so uh, the the first thing I was saying, uh, so what are we doing? We're talking about four applicable principles from the verses that would help us understand the answer to the question, should Christians be connected to a church? So number one premise that I just wrapped up is we have imperatives in the scriptures or commands that pretty clearly lay out for us that, yes, as a Christian, you should be connected to a local church congregation. I I got three more reasons for you, and uh, it won't take as long as you think. So reason number two, being connected to a church is for the benefit of others, okay? Let's look at verses 24 and 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay? Uh, sometimes we do the opposite. Like, we, we get freaked out. We think, you know, man, sure, the end is near. Things are getting crazy. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's withdraw. Let's circle up. Let's grab the kids, go in the basement, get a bunch of baked beans and candles, and we'll just hang out there, and hopefully Jesus comes to get us, right? Um, this says we should be coming together more, encouraging each other more, like be more active and about the Father's business as we see the day drawing near. So, you know, I I think it can get iffy trying to read the newspaper and interpret signs and stuff and and whatever. And I'm not going to get into all that, but the bottom line is every day the sun comes up and goes down, we're a day closer to the return of the Lord Jesus. And so I would just say we should be ever increasing our intensity as we seek to encourage one another and uh, seek to spur each other on to love and good works. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, It is interesting how many people view church and churches. When trying to determine what church God has called them to be a part of, uh, many people are looking at which church meets their needs or preferences the best or which church is most convenient for them. This, however, does not seem to be the primary focus of this command to stay in the habit of assembling together as God's people. Did you catch it? when verse 25 lays down this this principle for us of not forsaking our own assembling together, it's sandwiched between two other things. What it says above it is, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And after that, it says, we should be encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so I think most of the time, people are, they'll use terms like church shopping or they're trying, maybe they even are thinking of it in terms of, hey, I believe there's somewhere that God has called me to, which we would ascribe to that idea. We believe what church community you're a part of is, is, a, is a big enough part of like the total picture of your life that God probably has an opinion about it and we should seek that out. Uh, and they may even be p- thinking that way, but I think for many people, they're looking at m- their preferences, they're looking at their needs and what church kind of meets their needs the best, their preferences the best, what's convenient. Um, and, and that just doesn't seem to be here what the major point of assembling ourselves together is. So here's my question to you. What would our churches look like if the primary question for people coming in was not, which church do I prefer? Or, which church best meets my needs? But instead, what if they ask, uh, what church needs me? What, What if they asked, which church will I have the most opportunity to serve with the gifts God gave me? What if people in looking for a church were not so much... Concerned with what was convenient or what fit their preferences, but what if they were coming looking and they were, they were looking for holes to serve? They were looking for a church that needed somebody that can do what they can do. Um, they had a servant's heart and attitude. That was the motivation for how they conducted a search, not where can I go that I like. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, Just because a church, say, is struggling and you could be a help there, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. You still have to be led by the Spirit. You know, there's other ways you determine whether or not um, a church community is a place where God would have you, right? The Bible has to be preached faithfully. I think the gospel should be held high. You know, if they're getting up and preaching out of a Reader's Digest every week, red flag, right? So uh, the Bible should be held high. Um, the, The scriptures faithfully preached. Uh, but I think this, it's, let's be honest, probably for most of us, if we think about um, where it is we would, if we were to try to find a place to be, we would be looking through a lens of what do I like or what do I need, um, and that doesn't really fit with the overall Christian ethic, really, and it doesn't fit with the emphasis of, of verse twenty five. That t- tells us that we should be assembling ourselves together. It's saying don't forsake assembling yourself together because you're going to need to be encouraging people, because you're going to need to be spurring each other on to love and good works, right? It doesn't say don't forsake yourself, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, because um, you know you. You need to get your praise on somewhere where, you know, the music is exactly like you like or whatever, whatever the thing is, right? Whatever you think is important and, and kind of is your preference. So uh, what would our churches look like if, if we asked different questions? Uh, I, I think it would be interesting and to God's glory and for our benefit uh, as his people. The reality is out of all of that, here's why I'm saying. I know it sounds kind of crazy even to say and asking God to help lead you to where you should be, to ask questions like, what church needs me? Um, but the reality is we follow Jesus, friends. We follow Jesus, the eternal God who submitted himself to the womb of a middle-class virgin to be born and live a life among the people he created, and ultimately to die in their place to fix the problem of sin that they created. That's who we're following. Okay, so, so for us going into almost any situation with a what's best for me outlook doesn't really fit that because we serve Jesus, the king of kings, right? He, he stooped down to wash the dirt and filth off of the feet of the men that he was training for ministry. The king of kings did that, and that's who we worship. I, I'm so thankful that the Lord of glory did not come into the world asking what's best for me because that surely would not have led him to submit himself to the heinous torture of crucifixion in order to serve and save us. To think and live like Jesus is not only about self-denial. See, I said all that, and I said that we serve Jesus, and he's a picture of selfless sacrifice and loving sacrifice, and so we should absolutely follow after that, but, but we need to understand that even in doing that, it's not all about self-denial. It's not always that we're never going to get anything out of it. Because the truth is, Jesus said this, and most of the time we don't believe it, but he does, and so I want to believe it better. It is better to give than receive, right? We, know, like we believe that verse starting right after Thanksgiving, like Christmas time, we like that one, but like the rest of life, most of the time, we really believe it's better to get than give practically if we really were honest, but the reality is Jesus said straight across the board, it's better to give than receive. And the reality is the more you live your life focused on the good of others, the more you experience the joy, peace, and beauty that comes in doing what you were made to do. The more you focus on others, the more you're less intensely focused upon your own needs, your own wants, um, the places you're dissatisfied with in your own life, and you start making your life about uh, meeting the needs of others, there's, there's a, there is a power and anointing that comes through that. There is a joy that cannot be attained in pursuing things for your own sake. It's better to give than receive. And so I'm, I'm, I'm saying, hey, you should, you should assess what church community God would have you be a part of based on its needs, maybe not your needs. And you're like, nah, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? I want to go somewhere that I like. So, <laughs> I mean, I know. I know how it feels. I know like somehow what... I know that it's like, oh, that's such a big thing to make it all about everybody else. But, but it's just because sometimes we don't believe the truth. Here's the truth. When we live our life outwardly and others focused, we are happier and we have more joy. I don't know what case study you need that would better prove the point that kind of, you know, chasing after the old let's get rich or die trying plan does not lead to happiness okay? Just imagine America in a big glass bubble, and we're one big experiment. You know, I, I'm I'm glad and I'm thankful to be an American, but the, the whole like, you know, overall capitalist, materialistic consumerism, is that leading to greater degrees of joy and happiness in the general population? Nope. Some of the highest rates of dissatisfaction and and, and struggle are found here in the wealthiest country on the planet. So, um, I'm just saying Jesus wants you to have true joy he does he's not, he doesn't want you to just nose to the grindstone for all of your life to prove that you really love him what he's trying to get you to understand is if, if you'll trust me and if you'll do what I'm telling you and if you'll make your life about serving and loving others what you're going to find on the other side of that is more joy than you would have found just doing you or just serving yourself or just pursuing after your own needs, wants, passions, desires okay? okay Amen. Third, so one was we have pretty clear commands or imperatives that would tell us that being connected to a church is is the right thing for a Christian to do. Number two, being connected to to a church is is for the benefit of others. Uh, Number three, being connected to a church is for your benefit. It's also good for you. Some of that is already covered in kind of this inverse inside out idea of serving others actually being for our good and joy, right? So that's it's already to our benefit in that way, but there's some other ways. Here's the beauty of a bunch of folks coming together, looking to serve each other. Instead of being self-focused, they're looking to serve each other. You get a bunch of people that are on that train. If everybody's looking to serve, then everyone gets served. Isn't that cool? right? You get a bunch of people that come into a room and they're just looking to serve themselves, then they're going to be manipulating, doing whatever they can, try to get somebody to meet their needs, right? But if everybody comes into the thing understanding how gloriously they have been served by King Jesus, our Savior, and that has changed their heart to the point where when they go into situations and relationships or whatever it is, they're not looking to get, they're looking to give. You get a bunch of people like that in a room, what's going to happen? everybody's going to be served because everybody there is looking to serve in the light of the fact that they've been served perfectly through Christ. And so everyone's needs are still getting met, but it's beautiful instead of ugly because it's not everybody out to just serve themselves. You get to see selfless love in action. You get to see what it looks like when people serve each other. It's, it's beautiful and, and it's, it's wonderful and it's for our good. Uh, if we are all encouraging If everyone in here is encouraging, if everyone that's a part of Love City is is, is encouraging one another, then we're all being encouraged. If we're all praying for one another, then we are being prayed for, right? You see how that works? If we are mourning and rejoicing with one another, the Bible says we should do that. We should mourn with those who mourn. We should rejoice with those who rejoice. If we have tied our lives together in, in a real enough way that when you are going through something, I, I feel it. I'm going through it too, because we're together in this. Like we this is real, right? The the, the family of God language in, in, in the in the New Testament is not just oh, that's poetic or that's pretty, it's, it's real for us because we understand that the blood of Christ has tied us together in a way that is much tighter and stronger and it has eternal uh, implications, right? The blood of Christ is stronger than biology. And so we are family in a real way. And so if you're struggling, I'm struggling. And if you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. And if we're doing that, if we're really doing that, then uh, we are all receiving the blessing of having others walking through life with us in a real way. And that is beautiful. Now, right after we are given this instruction about staying connected to each other in verses 24 and 25, we are given a a warning about what can happen if we don't. Okay, I'm just going to read this to you. You don't have to read along. Just listen to this. So remember the context. Verse 24 and 25 say, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another uh, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then it flows right into this. Here's one of the possibilities that can happen if you don't obey that verse and some other verses for if we go on sinning willfully and you have to think that Paul's writing this so he's his train of thought is okay I'm I'm encouraging them to stay connected to each other to spur each other on to love and good works not forsake the assembling of themselves together uh, and they should do this all the more as the day draws near uh, and then this is his next thought right this is his flow of thought Four, if we go on sinning willfully after having received knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Mm. If you were sleeping, you ought to wake up because that's a scary verse. Okay, that's a real deal. Like, hold on, what, 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 how do I avoid that one, right? <laughs> the judgment of fire that consumes the adversaries. That's in capital, that's, they're quoting Old Testament there, right? We're getting serious. You know, it goes on. It goes on further down to talk about how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve? Who has trampled underfoot, the Son of God, and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant uh, which he has sanctified, insulted the Spirit of grace. Just now, I'm not saying that um, what Paul is doing here is is necessarily saying you're absolutely always, if not connected to a, a local church body. Uh, going to fall into that place where if you continue sinning willfully after having received knowledge of the truth that you'll no longer have a, left a sacrifice for your sins but a terrible expectation of judgment and the fire that consumes the adversaries. I'm not saying there's a direct link there, but I'm saying minimally in his flow of thought. His thought is, dear ones, stick together, spur each other on to love, good, love and good works, don't forsake assembling each other together, or don't, don't forsake assembling together, and do this all the more as the day approaches because if we go on sinning willfully, then he goes on to the next thing, okay? So you can do what you want with that. I think in his mind, it's connected. I think he understands that when we get out of assembling ourselves together, when we get out of encouraging each other to love and good works, when we get away from uh, you, you know, being in each other's grill in, in a good way, right, and, and, and coming together, encouraging each other, uh, sometimes challenging each other, uh, which can be a form of encouraging, uh, when we get away from those things and, and we kind of get out on our own, get isolated like a, like a sick gazelle, man, that's when a lion can pick you off. And the, Bible's going, or the Bible says the devil's walking around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour, okay? And, and he comes up to a herd of Christians that are, that are on point, loving each other, holding each other accountable, actually encouraging each other. They're in each other's corner. They're in the fight together. He walks up to that herd. He just keeps on moving, right? Because he's not getting anybody, but when, when people start to, you know, be too cool for that and or too busy for that and or uh, that's not that important, they're, they're like that sickly or old animal that gets kind of separated from the rest of the pack and, and boom, right? They're picked off. Okay, so it's, it, it, it's not a game and it's not just a question of, um, you know, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, okay? There's, there's a lot at stake here. That's, that's some really serious language. So to me, uh, that makes my ears perk up and it makes me want to pay attention. Uh, and I believe those are those are pretty intimately tied together. I know it's true for me. If I get away from fellowship with people that love me and love Jesus and are willing to not only encourage me but also challenge me, uh, just the fact that I'm in close relationship with them sometimes stops me from doing stupid stuff. Right? Like I know I'm I'm called to be the the primary Bible communicator here, and God's called me to be a leader among God's people. But if you think that means I don't ever have stupid thoughts and or temptations, then you've lost your mind. But sometimes what happens is the, the devil shoots that flaming arrow of temptation, and, and, and it comes, and like my mind starts to entertain the thought, but then all of a sudden, what happens? The faces of all the people that I love and are doing life with, and I would be letting down, start to roll across, and that, that thought gets cast to the ground immediately, because I'm not going to do that, because I'm not going to let them down. I'm not going to let somebody be, be fighting this battle of life, and all of a sudden, they look behind them thinking I had their back, and I'm gone, because I'm over here looking at porn. Sorry. I'm off duty. No, that's not how it works. Or, or I decided I wanted a girlfriend in addition to my wife. Sorry, church. You know, I'm going to go do something else. Nope. Not this guy, because I really love you. And I hope you really love each other. And I hope you really love me. And I hope that goes through your mind the next time you're tempted, because that's part of how this works. Love defeats sin. Amen. One of the gifts that we receive as a result of being truly connected to a body of believers is accountability. Another word that is not super popular, (laughs) I am well aware, uh, but that's only because we don't see it for the gift that it is. It is God's grace to us that he would remove the barriers of pride and fear so that we can let people love us in a real way, struggles and all, and be there to pick us up when we stumble. Accountability is a gift of God, and it's only by his grace that it's even possible. If it were not for God's grace, we would all continually hide behind our masks and not let people in to really provide accountability. Grace and the gospel are the only thing that allows it to even be a real thing, uh, or else it would all be fake, and and it's not because of his grace, and I'm thankful for that. also, so I'm still telling you why being connected to a church is for your benefit, okay? So first of all, it helps us in the fight against sin. Uh, being connected to a church helps us with, as far as having uh, accountability, it helps us because um, we, we do have leadership that loves us and is praying for us and, and should be looking over, watching over our souls, uh, feeding, tending. Um, and we also get the benefit, being connected to a local church body, of, of watching God work in the life of others. Uh, as we see their prayers answered, we, we see them persevere through difficulty. As we watch them run their race for Jesus, we are encouraged and spurred on in our faith. And you don't get that when you're out there doing the, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian deal, right? Or I'm watching it on TV. Look, look man, if you want to watch TV preacher, great. But that's not satisfying all that the Bible would encourage you towards. Uh, getting together with a bunch of people that are going to love you, challenge you, sometimes hurt you, uh, and, and sometimes let you down, but that's, even God uses that as a part of a process of growing us and, and equipping us and sharpening us for his kingdom, right? We got to learn how to be able to be offended. Okay, right? My feelings are hurt. I got to learn how to get over that, forgive, know that I've done that to somebody else, realize that Jesus has forgiven me of a whole bunch. That's a, There's a great potential for growth and maturity that comes through having a difficult situation with somebody that you got to get over, okay? And so uh, we got to see these things for, for the gift that they are. Um, now, I, I want to say to you, there is nothing wrong with rejoicing in the fact that God has saved you individually, okay? So what I'm about to say next, I don't want you to think that i don't think that's a good thing. We should rejoice that God has saved each and every one of us through the redemptive work of Christ. But if you read your Bible carefully, you will see that the promises and encouragements and instructions that we are given through the scriptures are written primarily to God's people as a collective, not to individuals, not to each one of us. Uh, and what that, part of what that tells us is that we were never intended to do this thing alone. Let me give you a quick example. Uh, Ephesians 2, 4, okay? Some very well-known rich verses here. Listen to this. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I don't think it's a problem to read the scriptures and, and think about how they apply to you individually, but we also need to read them as they're written and understand they are written to us as a people. Because we are intended to be doing this thing as a people. And that's real and it matters. There's a lot of us and we in there, right? Those are some key verses for why we believe we're saved. So uh, I'm thankful for that. If you go later and you read Acts chapters 2 and 5, you will see there much of what's being described is the birth of the early church, okay? And it says... In describing what was happening with those early Christians, it says that uh, the people of God were continually meeting together to pray, eat, uh, pray, eat together, and study the scriptures. And when you read it, you get the sense uh, that one of the effects of the gospel upon their hearts was an excitement and a desire to be around one another. It doesn't seem like they were coerced. It doesn't seem like, you know, they were getting emails like, hey, where you been? We missed you. You get this sense that, like, simply because of what Jesus had done, like simply because they realized the truth, that they were dead, but now they're alive, and, and they realize that there's other people that are believing that too, and that now we've been commissioned on, to, to go on a mission to tell as many people as possible there's hope because of Christ. It, it said continually, man. It wasn't like mm, twice a week, right? It, it's like, it, it, seem, it seems like what they're saying if you read in Acts, it looks like every day they were looking for excuses to find a way to get with each other, eat something, pray, and study the Scriptures together because they were just flat-out excited about Jesus. Nobody was twisting arms. Nobody was having to, to coerce them or, or you know, mess with them about it. They, they were excited to do it. It was, it was a source of joy for them. Amen. Let's all say, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Amen. Amen. And when I read that, it's, it's, it, that's part of why I have always struggled to understand why gathering with God's people is seen by some as a duty to be performed instead of a delight to be enjoyed. So I think we need to adjust our thinking in that. Uh, gathering with God's people is a delight. It's something, it's a gift to us. It's not a duty to check off of our list. Okay, God, I met that requirement this week. It shouldn't be. Um, it causes me so much like tangible, deep down, uh, into my bones joy uh, when we tell Lucy and Max on Saturday that tomorrow is Sunday because, you know, they have no idea what a calendar means. They don't really know what the days are, but every day they want to know what's happening tomorrow, you know, and then, okay, what day is that? You know nothing more than you knew before, child, but they need all the info, right? So every day it's a routine. So Saturday it's, <laughs> yeah, other people with toddlers, I see the heads nodding, right? So that's just the way it is. They want to know everything. So uh, we let them in on the information. And, you know, so we tell them on Saturdays, yeah, tomorrow's Sunday. Tomorrow's the day we gather with the church. And they go, yeah, yeah. They're excited about it. start asking questions. They're talking about the people they're going to see there. And, and they're pumped on it. And um, that, <laughs> that really blesses me. Uh, and I would say to us that if somehow any of us have lost that kind of joy at the thought of gathering with God's people, uh, may God restore it to us by the power of his spirit. May we understand that that's, that's, the, that's the logical response when you think about what it is we get to do. That we get, together, get to come together as a, as a redeemed people. We get to worship a God um, that is all-powerful and perfectly loving and that has made us the object of his affection. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It's reason for excitement. And if that excitement for some reason has waned, uh, I would ask you to pray. Let's pray. Let's ask for God's spirit to help us. Uh, that we would be as as excited as toddlers when we get to find out we we get to gather together with God's people. Amen? Um, So that was number three, that uh, being connected to a church is for your good. So we've said that there's imperatives or commands uh, that would tell us pretty plainly that... God's people should be connected to a church. We said that being connected to a church is for the good of others. We've said that being connected to a church is for our good. And given some examples of how that's true, the fourth and final principle is this. Being connected to a church displays the gospel to the world. Let me read you these verses. John 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment, this is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. Here's the key. By this... All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Guys, here's the truth. When God's family comes together for real, I don't mean just a group of people that gathers in the same place each week to explore a common interest, right? I'm not talking about country club church. I'm talking about when the family of God gets together for real, When we truly surrender and we join together our time, talent, and treasure, when we come together and abandon our self-focus, and we are collectively willing to be wrung out for the sake of our Savior King, the magnificent splendor of the gospel is displayed to the world. Did you hear what Jesus said? The world's going to know that you are my disciples by your love one for the other. And it takes the love of God possible because of the grace of God for us to be able to do that, to come together in a real way, to really exist as one unit, to be one body, to be of such unity that that we're like hands and feet and eyes and ears connected together, and we got one purpose, and that is making much of King Jesus, that is getting as many people as possible to understand, give them the chance to know there's hope in Christ. It takes love that is beyond our own strength or power. It takes love Uh, that is going to have to be empowered by the Spirit of God. It's not something we could do just because we decide to. We're going to need God's help. So, So how does that work? How is it that being connected to a church displays the gospel to the world? Without the transforming power of the gospel, we cannot love sacrificially in the way that would allow us to join together as God's church and really be about God's mission. Without the love of God working through us by the Spirit of God, we could not do what it takes to be unified to the degree it will, it will, that will be required for us to accomplish the mission of God. Uh, much of the negative outlook people have on the church today is a result of God's people being distracted from our real purpose. When churches become about numbers for the sake of numbers, Or churches become about boosting the egos of of whatever leaders or leader is there. When churches become about building ever bigger and more lavish buildings slash campuses. uh, When they become just another distributor of spiritual-ish goods and services, the church loses her relevance and power. We lose our voice, and we've seen that to some degree in our culture. There used to be a time when when a respected man of God spoke on an issue in this country, like people at least at least it had some weight. They may disagree, but they were going to consider it. Now, I don't even know that we're asked very often. Um, The truth is, we can't just be another business that peddles and panders to people. We have to be the blood-bought children of God who truly love Him, and are commissioned by him to love people and pour into them the incredible effort that is required to disciple them. We must be faithful heralds of both grace and truth. Because truth without grace isn't truth. And grace without truth isn't grace. When God's I'll summarize all that. When God's people truly love one another and we join our lives together in a unified purpose and it's real, it declares the power of Jesus and his gospel to the world. Because how many other places do you see people bound together, uh, willing to be selfless and sacrificial all for the sake of glory of somebody else? Does that happen a whole lot? Nope. There's only one place I know of. It's God's church. Amen. It is not hard to look around and understand that the bad news of sin is a reality. Uh, Our world does not operate on principles of selfless service and sacrificial love. Something is broken, and without Jesus, it's broken in all of us. However, when the truth of Jesus' perfect life his sacrificial death, and his triumphant resurrection really transforms the way we love one another, and it unifies us with the purpose of sharing the hope of Christ with others, it provides proof to the world that the gospel really does have the power to fix what's broken. Because that's that's what I'm saying. Why why did Jesus, there's so many things he could have said, right? There's so many things he could have said. Okay, guys, here's how the world's going to know you're my disciples, Right? Uh you're all gonna say a certain words and Roman candles are gonna fly out of your fingers. Like that would have been another easy way to do it, right? Like if he gave us Roman candle miracle power all the time, well, that's a Christian, he can shoot Roman candles out of his fingers, right? He could have done that. And that's our problem. See, most of us, some of I won't say most of us, some of us in here would get more fired up about Jesus if we if we saw a miracle or we think we would. And there's a lot of people out there who say, you know what, I would buy maybe what the Bible's selling if I could see a miracle but we don't see the church as the miracle that it is. Are are you kidding me? You You have a bunch of people, different races, different incomes, different backgrounds, different opinions on a whole bunch of stuff. You get them to come together, lay down what they think is best, lay down their preferences, lay down what's always best for them, come together for the sake of glorifying God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Come together for one mission, laying themselves down, loving each other selflessly and sacrificially you want to see a miracle you're looking at one it's called the church when you can get people coming from all different backgrounds, persuasions and opinions to, to drop all that to do what Acts says man, where they, they threw everything together they're like you know what what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine we, I, I can't be worried about my personal pursuit of whatever I, we got work to do there's a gospel to be proclaimed and a bunch of people that don't know it. Let's get it, right? That, that's what Jesus is saying. Your love one for the other is going to let people know you're my disciples. Your love one for the other is going to declare to them there's some truth to this, right? Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God. There's power in this, in this thing. It changes. Us. It makes us different. It makes us do things that aren't even logical, it's not logical to invest as much time as we do in each other, and discipling each other, loving each other, and, and, and it's not logical to sacrifice what we sacrifice financially when one of us is struggling. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense for us to, to give of ourselves as much as we do in order to, to come together as a group, to live as one big family, and to declare the gospel to as many people as possible. It, it's not logical to give what we give for the preaching of the gospel. None of it makes sense, but it speaks to the power of the fact that Jesus really transforms hearts. And we're going to do stuff that doesn't make sense a whole lot because he's worth it. Amen. Amen. We're going to keep doing it. And it's going to stand out. Our love one for the other. We are going to act like peculiar people. We're going to do things the world won't understand. And the hope is it piques their curiosity just enough that we get to let them know, here's why I do what I do. Here's why I live the way I live. Here's why I'm willing to love those people, even though sometimes they have bad attitudes. Right? Even though, here's why I still love that person, even though they've offended me. Seven times, right? (laughs) doesn't matter. We're going to keep on forgiving. We're going to have a supernatural ability to look over offenses because it's not about me or how I feel today. There's a bunch of people that if this whole thing wraps up tomorrow, they won't be with God for eternity. And that needs to drive what we think about, what we spend our time and money and energy and focus on, and how much time we're going to spend uh, bickering about anything. we got to let it drop quick. we got to love each other fiercely, lash our lives together, and understand that, man, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to ride this raft down the river and get the job done. And we're together, man, all the way. And that's going to speak to the world because it's uncommon. That, you don't do that in businesses, right? <laughs> that's, it's not the same thing. The church is different. The church is a miracle. It's something that's only possible because of the power of God. Praise God for that. May we be a people who love the church with all her flaws and imperfections, knowing that God uses even those for his glory. May we be a people who see the church first as an opportunity to serve instead of be served. And may we be a people who reflect the truth and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world as we love one another by his grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for the church. Lord, we're not down on the church. We don't have a bad attitude about it. We are thankful, God, that you have, you have called us to assemble as your people. You've called us, Lord God, to come and, and to, to be organized enough that we can get a job done. You have called us out of uh, whatever obscurity we had going on in our own lives, and you've brought us together, given us a unified purpose and vision and mission. You've made us ambassadors and heralds of the beauty of the gospel, and you've called us to do it together. I thank you, Lord, that the church is a miracle. No no less a miracle than, than the healing of a of a withered hand. No less a miracle than than a sight to blind eyes. No less a miracle than than thousands of people fed with just a little bit of food. It's it's no less a miracle that that all of these people simply because of you, Lord God, simply because of how good you are, simply because of what grace does in our hearts, simply because we've been transformed by the love that you first gave us. That we can come together, we can drop our agendas, and we can love with fierceness. That we can tie ourselves together. That we can agree and be happy about the fact that we are going to sacrifice for the sake of one another and for the sake of being able to be together on mission, declaring your greatness to the world. Thank you for the miracle that is the church. God, forgive any of us that have had a bad attitude about it. Forgive any of us, Lord, that have let our opinions be formed out of something other than what your scriptures would say. We know that it is your will. That we be gathered together, that we we be uh, submitted to, and 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 in a relationship of real love and authentic community with a group of believers. I thank you, God, that you didn't tell us how big that group has to be. I thank you that there's all different shapes and sizes and ways uh, that there's expressions of the local church all throughout the world in different contexts. Some of them meet in houses, some of them meet in buildings uh, that that were intended and built to be a house of worship. Some of them meet in something that used to be a warehouse. I thank you, God, that there's flexibility. I think. There's all different kinds of ways that can look. But the thing that there is no flexibility on is that we as your people, that when you come and change us, when you come and transform our hearts, when you take us from slaves to free, from death to life, that one of the impacts, one of the the things that happens in our hearts should be a, a, a desire should rise up for us to seek out others who have been saved by grace and to live life with them in a real way. It shouldn't be something that somebody has to convince us of, Lord. I ask by your Spirit, if for any of us, Lord, we are asking for your help, if, if, if it's just become a common thing to us, if we've somehow lost our gratitude, whatever it is, Lord, if there's some reason, when we think about gathering together with God's people, when we think about having our lives woven together in a real and intimate way with God's people, if that for us is not something exciting, if that for us has become a duty instead of a delight, God, I ask that you would come and crush whatever idol has come in front of our eyes and, and, and seem more important, whether it be personal comfort or convenience or, or our own agenda, whatever it is, God, whatever would be in the way of us rejoicing in the fact that you have called us to live as the church of Jesus Christ in the world. God, I ask you would take that out of the way so that we can be people full of joy, full of rejoicing and, and displaying to the world all the time what it means to be your people together for your glory and for the preaching of your gospel. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the ability uh, to come and repent when we, when we fall short. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you have the power uh, to continue to sustain this miracle that is your church. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies.